millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're done with your Oreo? Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, Do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought, too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I murdery thingy 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 thingy. Well, now I'm like, let's do it. Now I'm like really yeah, excited. Yeah. Like, okay. what if, what if we get the call? I know. I'm waiting on a big call. My uh, 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 sister-in-law is uh, gonna have a baby soon, but probably not really soon. But by next Wednesday at the latest. So, but it could be at any time. So. Anyway, if we, yeah, if, if the call comes during this, we're just going to, like, stop and then start again. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. Yay! This is a podcast. You might be listening to us on iTunes or... Spotify. Stitcher, perhaps. iHeartRadio. Over, Overcast. Any of... A number of different... When I had an Android, know. I used AntennaPod. That That's, was really nice. That well, was a good app. I don't believe I've ever heard of that one. Uh, yeah. There's lots of independent podcasting apps, There are Mario. quite a few. Thank you, Pippa, for knowing about more of them than I do and putting our podcast up on them. Uh, <laughs> what is, what is your, that? Your glasses are foggy. I know. It's, like, weirdly warm in here. Okay, I'm just going to take off my glasses. Um, so, anyway, this is the podcast. I'm Mario, <laughs> by the way. I'm Chloe. And this is the podcast where we talk about mysteries. And murderies. And thingies. And thingies. Yay. I'm going to go first. And I'm going to jump right in. So I'm doing thingy and possible murdery. So, because I'm doing two stories this week. Because I am doing a little special two-parter. Um, oh, in, you are doing a two-parter. Uh, okay. Well, not technically a two-parter. It's it's two parts in one episode. Oh, okay. okay. I'm just trying to confuse you. So, yeah, I'm going to do two um, stories, one for each poll. I'm doing some polar mysteries. Um, and, and they are polar opposites in a few different ways that we'll get into. So, oh, um, God. This, uh, yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is in honor of, you know, the our, the end of our winter, right, up here in the northern uh, part of the world, and of course the start of the southern winter. 
uh, down with our, our friends in the Australia and other that other parts. sucks. Their winter is just about to begin. Their winter is what? 50 degrees? Um, well, it depends on where you are, I guess. But where I'm going to be talking about, it's cold, because I'm going to talk about the poles. So we're going to start in the north, though, yeah. um, with the ancient Siberia. And uh, it was a little less cold at the time, so we're, we're talking between the 8th and 13th century CE. Oh, oh! Yeah, don't fall asleep now that <laughs> I'm giving me, you I'm a... sorry. A, a, you already told me not to put you to sleep, so don't sit on it now. I'm sorry. Keep <laughs> that's, going. That's okay. So this is the 8th, 8th and... Uh, between the 8th and 13th century. Okay, so uh, this is a long time ago. Common era, so a long time ago. Um, there were a group of people um, who we don't know very much about who lived and died and were apparently naturally mummified in this, like, really, you know, now barren, frozen landscape up nice. in uh, northern, northern Russia. So um, what we have, though, to, like, go on in terms of this, this like, culture is these uh, mummified bodies um, that have been found ever since um, this discovery was made at a place called Zeleny Yar Necropolis in 1997. Okay, so have they been, like, melting? Um, not necessarily. And people, and they're, like, showing up? Um, I think it was more so that they were just discovered. I'm not sure that it has too much to do with, like, warming necessarily. Um, but it could have been. But in terms of, like, the mummification itself, that seems to have been triggered by the kind of, like, non-oxidizing copper metal that's, like, covering a lot of these, um, bodies, which is weird. And, um, the climate, which got significantly colder in that area around the uh, 14th century. So um, this all kind of like started to come up more so in, in 2014 when there were um, a number of bodies in shallow graves discovered near the town of Salicard in northern uh, Siberia. Um, there were 11 bodies that were found oh, wow. with shattered bones or crushed skulls in this particular, like, um, little area. And there were five male adults that had been naturally mummified and were covered from head to toe with these copper plates. And they were also wrapped in reindeer, beaver, wolverine, or bear fur. Oh. So they, the bodies they were kind know. of, like, covered around this. No, it, it just variously. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so one man in particular kind of stood out because he was, like, buried with an iron hatchet and a bronze belt buckle with a bear design. And that, that bear design kind of like, uh, is a kind of a recurrent theme. Nice. There were also three infants that were also found mummified. Ooh. I know it's kind of sad. Um, wearing copper masks and bound with copper hoops. What? Yeah, we don't really know. Right. And this is kind of the mystery. Like what, what is this all about? What? Is it um, a, a, a ritual? Of, do we know who, if this was indigenous people or who they are? I'll kind of discuss that a little bit. Okay. Um, so they were also all pointing toward the nearby Gorny Poloi River. So there, there seems to be some significance to all of these things, right? Um, what they also found at the site was a number of bronze bowls originating in Persia, which is interesting. And, um, you know, they, they, do, they did some, like, further investigation into this, um, another set of remains in, like, 2015. Um, and those were a little bit different. They were um, completely covered in thick fabric and birch bark. Um, What's that? Um, like the bark of a tree from a birch tree. 
Is that the white ones? Uh, I'm not sure. I think so. Um, so this formed like kind of a shell or like a chrysalis almost, you know, that the bodies were contained in. You know, if we're thinking like what's the significance of this thing, right? That's like one possibility, I guess. Um, you know, kind of like needing to be in this, um, you know, pr- preparation for like the next life or something. I mean, that's like a credible, okay. yeah. you know, uh, hypothesis, just what the Com- fuck this could be about, right? Commonly found in other cultures. Exactly. These kind of things are, are like recurrent in, in culture. Um, so initial like MRI scans and stuff weren't really enough to get a good idea of what was going on within this like shell of, of the fabric and bark. So they did eventually open up the shell and found that the mummified remains of a young boy were inside, aged around six or seven, wrapped in animal fur, and equipped with a bronze axe, a bear-shaped pendant, and a number of metal head rings, like like around the head. So, yeah, it's this this idea of being, like, covered in metal and fur... It's just, like, comes up with a number of these bodies. That one I'm thinking, like, royalty or some kind of fighter. I mean, that's what you would think, is that the person was of a higher caste or class or somehow, you know. I mean, that's what it's speculated in my source as well. It's just really hard to know, right? But, I mean, that that seemed, I mean, that's a fair extrapolation, I think, for sure. So it was later determined that, um, you know, through a number of different, like, analyses, that the boy had died from worms stemming from eating raw or undercooked fish. Which apparently was, like, a a staple of um, what they would feed to children in some of the the cultures around that area at that time. So it wasn't uncommon or anything. Um, DNA analysis, though, which you would think, right, like, okay, you do some DNA analyses on these bodies and, and figure things out, right? That's not so possible with these, though, um, mainly because, one, the the bodies had been in ground that had been thawing and freezing over the years. It's in, in, the, in this sort of, like, um, meat, you know, median um, area in, in the polar, northern polar region. And also because of the birch bark resin, which had extensively, um, you know, g- gotten into the um, the bodies and and was corrupting the DNA, you know, not making it usable somehow. I'm not a fucking scientist, <laughs> as I'm wont to say. Um, obviously, there were, um, you know, some significance right to all of these things. The the bear, which I, sidebar I think is is kind of interesting, right? Because we. I don't know, like, R- Russia's always been kind of, like, uh, connected with the bear, right? That's, like, a symbol of Russia. Sure. Um, if, if you know, like, a, about, like, R- Russian symbology and stuff. Um, even, you know, into the modern day. So it seems interesting, you know, that it seems to have gone back to this, like, Russian provincial spot up in up in the far north, you know? Is there a bear on their flag? No, I'm thinking of mm, the Californian no. flag. Yeah, that's the California flag. Um, so anyway... Um, the good news is that a lot of these grave sites have actually not been looted, even though they've been there for, like, hundreds and hundreds of years right. and have, like, precious metal inside of them. Um, so, yeah, we'll probably find out more. But, you know, where a lot of these analyses and stuff ended up, the articles were from, like, 2015, 2016. So it's actually a kind of a like a an ongoing investigation. So it, it, I think we'll find out more, but they think that these people were probably a culture that originated in the Mediterranean and migrated up through Russia to that, which 
you know, just based on the little bit of, like, Wikipedia reading I've done about, like, ancient Russian history and, and China and, like, that region of the world, it seems fairly plausible, like, that there there were trade routes and movement of peoples through that area, even in, like, ancient times around this time. Um, so, yeah, that's my first story. That's the northern pole of my polar mysteries. Um, and then we're going south. Now we're going to the extreme, as far south, in fact, as you can go. Because this oh? little murder mystery, possible murder mystery, is set at the South, the south Pole. Um, okay, so this one is quite different. Um, this one is probably, possibly a murder mystery. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll see. So uh, <laughs> we'll get into it here. So I'm um, talking about Rodney Marks, um, who seems to have been a pretty awesome guy, um, pretty tragically, because uh, clearly this isn't going to turn out well for, for Rodney, right? Because, yeah, obviously. So uh, let's talk a little bit about him, though, and, and honor his life, first of all. So he was an astrophysicist, mm. an Australian, seems like a really great guy. I would probably would have loved to hang out with this guy. He seems really cool. Um, he was known as being really brilliant. Um, apparently people just like said that about him, like without, you know, prompting. And, uh, he showed an aptitude for science really early on. He attended a prestigious private school in, uh, Geelong, um, in Southern Australia where, where he was from. And, uh, he eventually got his PhD in physics from the University of Melbourne and, uh, uh sort of developed a career as a, uh, a, a radio astronomy astrophysicist. A, a what? Um, so he, he did this kind of astronomy called radio astronomy, um, reading radio waves from, from the wider universe, right? There's a lot of, um, astronomical phenomena that give off strong, sometimes really strong radio waves. And, uh, it's very common form of astronomy to, to utilize those. And it, it specifically, um, works well in the South Pole, because it's very cold there and very isolated. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, I'm re- I'm really into that kind of stuff. So I just happened to be into it. This is part of why I would have loved to hang out with this guy. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> we would have had a, a many nerd alerts uh, going off. So um, he was pretty cool though, as as well. Actually, um, he was a surfer. Uh, he played the guitar in a band called the Changelings. Um, And he even had a band there at the South Pole Station. Oh, nice. um, Called Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. Love it. Great name. Uh, Great fucking band name. Um, And and Rodney was apparently just everybody's friend, right? He was, he, so apparently there's these kind of like cliques, at at least at at the time, you know, at this time, this is around 2000. Um, At at the, the South Pole Station where there's like, the scientists, and then the mechanics, and then, oh, like, the support people, oh, you know, and it's okay. kind of like you hang right, out right. with your crew, you don't hang out with the other people. Um, that wasn't the case for Rodney. He hung, he out, hung with out with everybody. I love that. Um, he was an astrophysicist, so obviously he was around the scientists. Um, his uh, eventual fiance Sonia, was uh, a scientist, but also worked as a, a skilled mechanic. Mm. Um, he would drink and, and play poker with, with, like, the support people. He just, he was friends with everyone. And um, he would even give a informal astronomy class uh, for his fellow polies, which is what residents of the South Pole Station are apparently known. I didn't know that. Um, so I'm going to call them polies. Um, so anyway, Rodney was no stranger um, to the southernmost point on the Earth, 
um, at the point, you know, that, that we're going to kind of eventually get to, right? Um, eventually, he would spend two weeks at the South Pole in 1994, spend the overwinter time in 1997, which by, uh, by the way, the overwinter time when they're at the South Pole Station is February to October. Oh, fuck that. That's the winter. Fuck that. That's when you can't leave or go there. Yeah. So that just so you understand what we're talking about here. Um, no, thank you. So by the year two thousand, the year two thousand, um, it's a Conan Conan O'Brien reference. If you're if you're old like me, you'll get it. Um, so by <laughs> by the year two thousand, Rodney had been hired on to spend another winter at the Amundsen Scott Research Station, which is what the the South Pole Station is known as, um, along with his new fiance Sonia Walter who, by the way, played bass in the, uh, what was it called again? The, the Fanny Pack. The, the fanny, fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. Nice. She was one of the Big Nancy Boys. Um, presu- presumably, Rodney was, was Fanny Pack, I suppose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> they fell in love um, just before the summer season ended, um, you know, and she quickly signed up to stay another winter to, to be there with Rodney. <clears throat> to start... Um, the winter off right, uh, and to kind of celebrate, um, this kind of tells you a little bit about who they were. She dyed her hair green. He dyed his hair purple. Nice. He often would also wear dreadlocks, apparently. Nice. So he, he stood out uh, among the other scientists. Let's, let's say that. Um, they got engaged during the, the early, uh, weeks of the winter over that year in 2000. But tragically, this picture perfect polar romance was not meant to be not meant to last um and i don't mean to make make light of it um so because unfortunately rodney marks is uh known as the victim of what became popularly known as the first south pole murder but the murders in question yeah correct okay um but it is popularly known as the first south pole murder there's, there's kind of an assumption that it was murder but as we'll see it's not that clear actually okay so um yeah, it all kind of started on um, May 11th, 2000. Uh, Rodney was um, kind of not feeling too well um, throughout the day, especially when he started walking home from the observatory, which was about a kilometer from the base. He told uh, his fiance Sonia that he felt ill uh, to his stomach, was having issues um, seeing uh, during dinner that night. Hmm. So he, he went to bed early at about 9.30, which was uncommon for, for Rodney. Apparently he was he was kind of the life of the party guy too, as you can imagine. So um, over the next day and a half, Rodney's condition got progressively worse. Um, he visited the doctor, uh, Dr. Robert Thompson, the, the, the only doctor there apparently um, on the base, uh, three times over the next 20 hours or so. Rodney was really freaked out, you know, not only because he didn't know why he was sick and was getting sicker, but also because he was in the most remote place on Earth. Uh, there, I mean, they're a thousand miles from McMurdo Station, which itself is 2,000 miles away from uh, New Zealand, Christchurch, which is the nearest civilization. So, yeah, th- this is as far away as you can get from anywhere uh, other than maybe in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So, um, obviously he's not feeling, you know, too well about that either. Um, and he also may have been haunted by some previous, um, sort of disastrous incidents at the South Pole Station. Um, famously a Russian doctor 
was forced to give himself an appendectomy <gasps> during, ah! during a winter over in 1961. Ah! Yeah, and uh, Dr. Jerry Nielsen in 1999, so just before this, um, also diagnosed and treated her own breast cancer with uh, supplies uh, that had been parachuted in. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Those are some badass doctors. I know, right? Like, th- well, those are the kind of people that agree to spend that eight to months <laughs> in fucking the South Pole. Um, so Rodney had, of course, the added stress, though, unlike those two, of not knowing why he was sick or what the hell was going on. So he awoke at about 5.30 a.m. the next day on the 12th, uh, vomiting blood. Things were getting really serious. Um, He reported a radiating burning sensation emanating from his stomach throughout his body. His symptoms continued to pile up, more and more of them, and Dr. Thompson could not explain what was happening. Um, he wanted to consult with other doctors through a satellite link, but there was a lengthy delay as they waited for, um, satellites to align and the earth to spin because of course, when you're at the South pole, you don't have good access to satellites because, you know, for reasons of geometry. And I, I'm not sure cause I'm not a fucking scientist. <laughs> um, so while they waited for, you know, Dr. Uh, Thompson to be able to consult with the other doctors, uh, Rodney was given a sedative and um, went, well, to his bed to try to sleep. Uh, <clears throat> he could not sleep, as you can imagine. Um, he continued to vomit blood um, and, in a panic, uh, rushed back with Sonia for the third time to the only doctor to which he could go. But that was all to no avail, unfortunately. Uh, soon after arriving um, back at Dr. Thompson's, Rodney's heart stopped, and the volunteer EMTs on the base were al- alerted and called, um, but they could not revive him. Um, Rodney was dead at 32, my age, mm. on, uh, on May 12th, um, with the cause of death a complete mystery. Um, one of the first responders on the scene, and his friend, Darren Schneider, wrote the following after um, Rodney's passing. Quote, We did everything we could, but Rodney did not come back. He had friends around him at the end. We have no idea what happened. Close quote. So R- Rodney's remains, of course, were to be flown to New Zealand to do an autopsy and everything, right? They could, they could not do it there. However, they first had to wait till you could actually fly out of Antarctica because it is so cold yeah. that if a plane were to touch down there, its fuel would freeze and it would not be able to move again. Oh, nice. Cool. So it, it physically, cool. literally yeah, cannot great. be done. Um, they had to wait about five months for that window to, to open. So Rodney's body, rather, was placed in a makeshift casket um, created by his friends. And after a brief ceremony at the South Pole... Um, was stored five feet under the ice uh, until summer. Uh, Almost half a year later, Rodney's body was finally flown to Christchurch, uh, New Zealand, for the first autopsy. That postmortem concluded that Rodney died from methanol poisoning. I was going to say, what poison was it? Yeah, so (laughs) you're very very perceptive impression of you. Um, Yes, it was determined that he was poisoned. Uh, by methanol, which which is um, 
similar to, of course, ethanol and alcohol, right? Um, but it is way fucking worse for you, and it will kill you, um, even a little bit of it. So the coroner's inquest um, was formed uh, jointly between the U.S. and Australia, but held in New Zealand, uh, investigating an event that happened over 3,000 miles away more than six months before. So, good start, right? Um, you can see you can see where this is going. So the the first mystery they had to solve was who the hell has jurisdiction in this case. Mm. New Zealand claims sovereignty over this whole area, um, uh, including the proportion of the Antarctica where um, the events occurred. Uh, American authorities do not recognize that claim. Um, there is an informal understanding that U.S. Marshals can sort out sort of anything that having having to do with like just Americans. Was he American? No, he was Australian. Why are the Americans here? Well, the Americans are the ones who run the base, oh, and they were the ones who were employing him. Okay. Um, I and was it's... like, did we just burst our ass in there like we always do? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, this this would what makes it complicated. You know, there, there's there's like multiple jurisdictions involved. So, in the end, though, they, they did kind of figure that out and, and concluded that an initial investigation was going to be undertaken by a detective, Senior Sergeant Grant Warmbald, uh, Warmbald, excuse me, of the New Zealand Police, the country's national police force. He was overseen by Richard McElray, uh, the Christchurch coroner, because ultimately the authority went back to New Zealand law stating that anybody um, found on their territory should be investigated by the local coroner, the local coroner being 3,000 miles away mm. in Christchurch, New Zealand. Mm. Um, so that's how that kind of fell down. So after a number of hearings and statements and investigation through 2006, the only conclusion that DSS Warmold could come to is this, quote, In my view, it is most likely Marx ingested the methanol unknowingly, close quote. Okay. Yeah, not too uh, enlightening. What? Does... So, Sorry, so keep yeah, going, keep going. yeah. So whether anyone else knew, of course, that Rodney was ingesting a fatal dose of methanol, uh, one is left to wonder um, after that statement, because, like I said, it really doesn't tell you much. So the methanol would probably, um, and I do highlight probably, have come from a store used by Marks uh, by Rodney. Um, to clean the telescope. So th this is stuff that would have been around in, in some quantity, a a actually. Um, so suicide, though, or accidental poisoning were mainly ruled out. Um, accidental poisoning, just because these things were handled pretty carefully, and Rodney was known to be a very careful person mm. about things like that. Um, Rodney did suffer with Tourette syndrome, However, it was not severe, and he was, like, he was managing it pretty well. Um, I'm just talking about, like, the, the sort of suicide angle of things, right? Because, um, unfortunately, you, I mean, you, in these situations, you kind of have to think about it, which is unfortunate. Um, Rodney was also, like, in this budding romance. Um, he was a, a, a burgeoning scientist who had a really promising career ahead of him. He had no financial troubles. There, there just didn't seem to be any reason why he would have taken his own, especially in this way, right? I mean, did suicide just seems like a completely implausible uh, thing to even, you know, um, entertain in this situation. So, um, anyway, the main contributing factor um, to the fact that this is a very much ongoing mystery up to this day 
is the reported non-cooperation of two parties. Raytheon, who contracted to do um, basically all the work on the base, and the National Science Foundation, which administers all U.S.-based research at the South Pole. Mm. So ultimately, the National Science Foundation is who is, like, in charge, according to, like, the Americans, I suppose. Um, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more about them. So the mystery was also compounded, though, by the fact that a proper investigation is kind of impossible at the, the South Pole Station. Um, just because, like, how are you going to enforce anything? So, for example, there was no cordoning off of any scenes. Um, there was no evidence preservation or logging. Um, things were simply cleaned up, thrown out, and life went on. Um, albeit much altered, of course, by Rodney's passing, but um, they used all the facilities, Sonia continued to sleep in their room, there was essentially no investigative work done on the scenes. So that's not great, obviously, in terms of trying to figure out what actually happened. So, in a sense, the botched investigation, though, began even before that, with Dr. Thompson, who had a diagnostic tool that would have likely allowed him to diagnose Rodney's poisoning, um, but it was malfunctioning, and oh, it was not wow. uh, repaired oh. or kept in a usable state by Dr. Thompson, who, uh, as a side note, um, it said, uh, I, I believe on Wikipedia, that he was never heard from again after 2006. I'm not sure whether that's true or not. What does that mean? In what context? What does Just that mean? from the investigation. Like, like he went missing? Perspective. Or... I'm not sure. Apparently a lot of the people involved in this, and there were about 50 people on the base at the time, or the um, the station, I should say, at the time, um, apparently uh, people who were involved in the South Pole Station stuff at the time, they, they were the kind of people who tended to be difficult to find. So a lot of them were very difficult to find afterwards, which also hampered the investigation. For example, the investigators eventually sent out a um, questionnaire to try to gather more information. Out of the 49 that they sent, they only got 13 back. So, you know, yeah, the, you can see where this is going, right? We're, we're not going to get to any... This is, what, this is what the podcast's all about. It's a mystery, right? So anyway... This one's frustrating, I knew you were going to say that because it is. It's exceedingly frustrating. And when I was doing my write-up, I was like, Chloe's going to say this is frustrating because it definitely is. Um, so the National Science Foundation concluded um, – I'm going to put that one in, in scare quotes right now – concluded um, that – that in, in other words, that I'm, I'm using that in a special way to say that it's not really right. So – they claim to have concluded that Rodney died of natural causes, um, but would not provide any any information from their internal investigation that they say that they did, uh, which they also say established that, um, you know, he just died of natural causes. They said that right after it happened, before any evidence could have been collected or done. Yeah. Not a great look. Um, so DSS Warmold, um, has some thoughts, quote, I am not entirely satisfied that all relevant information and reports have been disclosed to the New Zealand police or the coroner, close quote. That's an understatement. Um, here's another quote from, uh, from, uh, um, DSS Warmold, um, quote, common sense 
told us there were only four possibilities as to how Rodney came to ingest the methanol. One, that he drank it willingly and knowingly with the intention of getting a high. Two, Mm. that he took it to end his life. Three, that he took it accidentally. And finally, that someone had spiked his drink, possibly as a prank, or even knowing that it would either make him very ill or kill him. Close quote. But why methanol? Well, That's it so would have been it would have been readily available. But like <sighs> and it would have been certain to kill him. I'm confused. What are you confused about? Why <laughs> Never mind. Keep okay. Going. D- don't ask questions like why. <laughs> um no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm keep just going, kidding. keep Sorry. going. Um, so his um, fellow polies were very skeptical that Rodney was murdered um, as well, though. Just just as we're taking off, like, that all of the possible things that could have happened couldn't have happened is here. So Gene Davidson said this, quote, I never noticed anyone acting differently afterward, and I can't think of anyone who would have disliked Rodney that much or had anything against him or even had anything to gain by it, close quote. Right. And sorry, this is why I didn't want to answer the why question because there is no why. Like in this case specifically, that is an impossibly to answer question. Like even if there were some possible why to why someone would have murdered him, it's literally impossible for us to possibly ever know. I don't know. I I don't think he was murdered. Who's to say? Um so meanwhile, um while all this is going on, The U.S. Justice Department was also apparently trying to get some kind of information, you know, from Raytheon, from the NSF, Um, but uh, they didn't have any luck either. Um, And the NSF said, sorry, we didn't have any jurisdiction over that. That wasn't our responsibility. Um, And they just were not very helpful, apparently. They claimed that there were privacy concerns, again, quote, 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 unquote. That prevented them from giving out that sort of, you know, personal information that that they wanted for the investigation. I don't understand. Um, and they did not also produce any lab results or, or any evidence um, for the investigation. So, obviously, just like you and I, um, DSS Wormold was very frustrated and was left with little recourse since he didn't have any way to legally compel the NSF or Raytheon to help him to try to solve this possible murder, or to establish whether it was a murder or not. And that's kind of central, you know, the central thing to this mystery. Was it a murder or or was it not? Um, So DSS Wormall, here again, quote, Had there been evidence of a criminal act, things would have been very different. The FBI would have been flown in, maybe even the Australian police, uh, close quote. Um, and it, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of when of the um, um, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, right? Where these jurisdictional issues sometimes prevent a proper investigation from even like being established in the first place because you can't say whether or not like what what the facts are. So it's it's like hard to to even like start the investigation. So um, the investigation kind of lay dormant until um, December of two thousand and six. The coroner's um, inquest uh, was restarted, and um, they came to, well, I guess you can call it a conclusion, in September of 2008. Um, They um, basically said this, quote, Rodney Davis Marks died as a result of acute methanol poisoning Mm -hmm. 
probably occurring one or two days earlier, he being either unaware of the overdose or not understanding the possible complications of it. Close quote. So again, using a lot of words to not say much. Um, so yeah, we'll probably never know, which is basically what, what um, his father, Paul Mark, said. Um, he said this, quote, And I don't think we are going to try to find out any more in regards to how Rodney died. I'd see that as a fruitless exercise. Yeah. Close quote. Yeah. And I mean, it's 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 hard to disagree, right? But um, DSS Wormold, um, one, one more quote from him, um, and he's not quite as pessimistic. Quote, I'd like to think that if my children went to work down there and somebody went wrong, uh, something went wrong, someone would be responsible for, for finding out what happened, he says. I know Rodney's family wants to know why the machinery that would have diagnosed his illness wasn't working and mm. whether anyone will actually be held accountable, whether anyone even gives a shit. Someone should be required to give a damn, close quote. I, I just I, I actually really love that quote. Um, someone should be required to give a damn. I mean, right? And, yeah, and, 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 yes, and, but I don't think there's much to go on to give a damn. There isn't, but you know, I mean, we've seen cold cases that have languished for decades, and and someone keeps digging away at it, right? I think the only thing here, if there is anything, is that the diagnostic tool wasn't working. Yeah, there 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 could be some possible, you know, um, I guess legal implication. I'm not sure. So I wanted to talk about one more possible theory, but but only it's possible. Um, so this theory was floated by a uh, an anonymous poli who uh, kind of came forward to to present this evidence. Well, theory or hypothesis, whatever you want to say. So he thinks he presumably thinks. That it could have been tainted liquor from not there, tainted liquor from somewhere else mm. that um, Rodney presumably ha- would have bought and brought onto the uh, to the station. So um, to bolster this case, there is the um, apparent fact that several polies, including Schneider and this anonymous poli, claim to have seen an exotic bottle of liquor. Um, with Portuguese writing and a shrimp on it with Rodney when he got back from a um, jaunt over to New Zealand just before the winter over began in in 2000, before he passed. So this bottle was thrown away, just like all the other possible evidence, right? So we could never possibly know. But it's hypothesized that it could have been, and apparently this is a thing, um, alcohol that had been improperly um, handled or whatever, or maybe even, like, intentionally spiked with methanol. Apparently there are about 300 of these deaths per year. Oh. Mainly tourists who buy, you know, un- unlicensed liquor in some tourist spot, Ooh. and it has methanol, and it's of such a dosage that it kills them, um, unfortunately. And, and this this may have actually been what happened. Um, I feel like that's the most plausible. It it it's it's weird, you know. That there's no evidence for it, obviously, right? Right, it's right. Purely speculation. That's why it's weirdly plausible. But it's weirdly plausible. In fact, look what I wrote in my weirdly plausible theory. I literally wrote those words in my write-up because great minds think alike. Mm. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. Oh, just as a a little um 
thing to end on until at least 2013, because that's when the article was from. Um, Rodney's friends have kept an Australian flag mm. flying at the South Pole, um, just like when they had the memorial there for him. Um, this apparently greatly aggravates the National Science Foundation, but you know what? Why? Because they don't help in the investigations, and because they don't want people to remember this bad PR event. Oh, that's bullshit. It's extremely bullshit. So, anyway, that's... And again, it's all about, you know, honoring his life. And and if he seemed like a, just a great person, it's so tragic that he died so young. Um, but 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 also a, just a extremely frustrating and intriguing mystery. Um, okay, so my sources. Uh, David Tormson at Listverse. Jessica Saracini at archaeology.org, um, an ancientpages.com page, Anna Lazowska at Siberian Times, the Rodney Marks Wikipedia page, and Will Cockrell in Men's Journal. That was a good one. Yeah. And then you think, you think, yeah. Okay, so mine's going to be really short. Cool. Um, you do do. <laughs> does it have a singing portion at the beginning no <laughs> i'm talking you know what i've noticed we don't sing as much is that a good thing <laughs> i don't know sorry go on please um i'm doing a medical mystery you kind of inspired me to do a medical mystery uh i'm doing foreign accent syndrome so i'm kind of cheating i'm cheating because why? I don't know. I don't think this is a mystery. After I did all my research and I did all the write-up, I was like, I feel like we know. And it's just a rare disease. And it's a thing. Okay, well, tell tell me about it. All right. So We'll see how much of a mystery it really I is. I just don't... I don't have faith in it. <laughs> okay. At being a mystery. Okay. So I'm cheating. So okay. foreign accent syndrome, or FAS, is thought to be a neurological condition. So starts in the brain. Where patients all of a sudden start speaking with some kind of foreign accent, all right? Usually, and it usually occurs after some sort of, like, head injury or after migraine, stroke sometimes. Um, and like I said, it's a rare condition. There have only been 62 reported uh, cases between 1941 and 2009. Wow. Yeah. Wait, how many again? 62. Oh, wow. So it's very rare. Very, very rare. Very rare, yeah. That averages out to, what, like one a year? About. Less than one a year. So the term foreign accent syndrome was coined in 1982 by the, get this, neurolinguist Harry Whitaker. Neurolinguist. That's a made-up word. You're a neurolinguist. You're a neurolinguist. So, (laughs) okay, there are two different kinds of foreign accent syndrome that have been established. Neurogenic and psychogenic. So neurogenic is much more common, um, and it usually shows up after brain damage, so from like a stroke or some kind of injury. Psychogenic is where they look at the patient and there's no identifiable brain damage, but the person has some kind of psychiatric disorder like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or conversion disorder along with this right. sudden accent comorbidity what comorbidity yes um and it and uh with this uh the, the neurogenic is the one that's that's more common 
Um, but with the psychogenic one, it's one that like occurs during psychotic episodes and sometimes it stays and sometimes it doesn't. So patients sometimes have trouble putting sentences together like I do all the time or put, (laughs) or put stress on the wrong words and syllables. So it's like weird. They talk weird. Um, so vowels, okay. With, with these studies, they find that vowels tend to be the hardest and the one that people struggle the most with. And if their speech changes, it's usually the vowels that are mainly changing and how their mouths are shaped. So it can be kind of like not a full foreign accent, but it's sort of like tinged with that foreign accent. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, well. mm. Or it's just like a modified version of the foreign accent, essentially. Hold on, hold on. Okay. So this is why I don't think it's a mystery because there's a... (laughs) There's like a solid explanation. So brain damage affects the ability to control your tongue. So like that's what that's what happens. It's it's they get some type of brain damage where they can't control the muscles in their tongue. There's lots of tension in the mouth, stuff like that. And so one of the things that's so interesting is which I think you were kind of touching on is that the patient seems to speak in an accent that they've never heard or experienced before. But the explanation for that is that there's there's problems with muscle movement and coordination and that caught because of that you it changes the way the speech sounds so when the new speech sounds are similar similar to those of an existing accent the speaker can be preserved to be speaking with a foreign accent so but see that i think that is a mystery because the mystery is that question whether it is it us perceiving it as a certain foreign accent, but it's really just that the like you're saying this loss of muscular control um, is like changing the their, their phonemes essentially, right? Because yeah. the articulators are naturally changing um, in a way that's like completely unnatural, or is it that their brains are somehow reverting to what it what the brain in, internally perceives? As a foreign accent for some neurological reason. I... That's a mystery. I don't know. And and the thing about it is that there's two different kinds. There's the neurogenic and the psychogenic. And, and maybe the one, it's different for each. And the psychogenic... Well, there, there are lots of different, like, versions of this... Hmm. Of this syndrome. Like, they're uh-huh. not all the same. Sure. And the psychogenic one doesn't have to do with brain damage. Uh-huh. Only the neurogenic one does. So... Right. Even if it's brain damage that are damaging the muscles, then the psychogenic one doesn't have brain damage. So where is that coming from? I don't know. See, it is a mystery. I was pretty satisfied with the... I guess I didn't think about it that way. So people with foreign accent syndrome don't speak with all the features of a foreign accent, but there's enough things about the way that they speak to make it seem like they have a different accent. Mm -hmm. So this is... Okay, yeah. So as you look at all of the the cases... um, People with FAS are not described as having a single accent. It's interpreted by the person who's listening to them. So hmm. you could see, like listen to somebody and be like, oh, it kind of sounds German. And somebody else could be like, I don't know, sounds kind of Russian to me or something like that. So the cases. There are lots of, surprisingly, there's like a good amount of like notable ones. But one of the earliest and most well-documented happened in 1941. Um, so in the height of World War II, a Norwegian woman named Astrid was hit in the head with shrapnel during a raid. Mm. 
So she met, she goes, she meets with the neurologist, Georg Hermann Monrad Krohn, who, okay, so he looked at her and he noticed right away that despite her fluent Norwegian, she had, quote, such a decided foreign accent that I took her for German or French, end quote. Um, Note that the Germans have been occupying Norway since 1940, so Astrid was met with a lot of hostility. Mm-hmm. People thought she was German, mm. and she couldn't, like, go out and buy things, because, like, sh- like, shopkeepers wouldn't, they'd be like, oh, we don't allow Germans here, and stuff like that. Which this seems like a, in terms of what, what I've heard about this syndrome before, kind of a recurrent theme, that it causes social isolation, and, like, distancing, and, and like... It seems I'll, to have an ill effect. I'll, on, get, I'll get into that. Yeah, for sure. So, another case. Michelle Myers from Buckeye, Arizona, went to sleep with a migraine and woke up with a British accent. So, so in the past seven years, seven, eight years, it's happened to her three times. And the first time, it was Irish. The second time, it was Australian. You see what I mean? How it can be kind of interpreted? But both incidents lasted about a week. But in 2016, she um, she went down with a crippling headache, and that's when she woke up with a British accent, and she's had it ever since. So about two, this is written in 2016, this article, I think, so about a couple years. So she, so also, she also has a syndrome called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I don't know if this has anything to do with the disorder, but it's a condition which affects connective tissues, mainly in the skin, joints, and blood vessel walls. It's caused so she gets bruised really easily. She has painful joints that they're like they're like weirdly flexible and can dislocate super easily. So overall, it's it's like unclear to doctors what caused her her um, FAS, um, but they think it was caused by a hemiplegic migraine which produces symptoms similar to a stroke. Mm-hmm. Another case. In 2005, Leanne Rowe suffers a broken back and jaw after being in a serious car accident. So she's she wakes up in the hospital, and as her jaw starts to heal, she starts to slur her words, which eventually develops into what sounded like a French accent. But what's weird is that she's had it ever since. Like, her jaw heals, and then the accent stays. Hmm. And she's only one of two Australians with the syndrome. Um, so she taught, she kind of like talked about how it's been isolating her and how like she gets made fun of and that it's kind of, it's rough. Like it, yeah. it, it's actually not a great thing. People think right. she's faking it and yeah, it's. Uh, Which that is not a mystery that whether they're faking it or not but just right. by the way like they're not faking it right, like th- not. this is a real syndrome it is not a hoax or something or right. internet whatever like it is a real thing so because it's such a rare disease there isn't much we can go on in terms of causes and like super concrete system cuz not symptoms like not everybody has the same ones sure um I guess the thing that really stays is that they have some kind of foreign accent, but the, the, all the circumstances are different. Either they're, you know, schizophrenic, bipolar, or they had some kind of brain damage, stroke, some kind of injury. Hmm. It's very weird. And no one knows for sure what, what, what the underlying cause is Mm -hmm. only that it might have to do with how the brain processes speech patterns. Right. That's it. Nice. 
Um, I think it's intriguing. It's weird, right? Yeah. My sources were Wikipedia, an article from The Conversation by Lindsay Nichols, Australia ABC News article by Lucy Shannon, an Arizona ABC News article by Jason Volantine, and an article from The Atlantic by Julie Beck. Is it time for the best part of the fucking podcast? Weird, weird shit in, in the, the news. news. Weird shit in the news. Ow, that hurts my vocal cords. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, so mine's also from The Atlantic. Yay, The Atlantic. I love The Atlantic. Um, by Ed Young, and it is a science weird science? shit in the news. And the title of the article is Exploding Aphids Plaster Holes in Their Home with Bodily Fluids. And yes, it is exactly what it sounds what like. What are aphids? Uh, aphids are sort of similar to like ants or termites Ew. or bees. Um, they have that sort of like segmented body and they have that hive, um, you know, way of living as well. Um, and the, the, the hive mentality, right, breeds uh, quite literally this, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of recurrent behaviors, right, that are self-sacrificing in these different, uh, you know, for example, bees, when they sting, they die, right? Because it's for the good of the colony. Uh, It's for the queen. I'll die for the queen. I'm sure that's how they're perceiving it, right? Um, They they are apparently smarter than you would think. But anyway, um, this article is about this, this, this thing that aphids do, apparently, where um, if they, if if their home is attacked, right, um, it and there's this large hole left in it, it must be repaired because otherwise more predators are going to get in. Um, it it's going to dry out, so that they have to patch this hole. And the way that they do this is that they um, squeeze out about two thirds of the bodily fluids contained Ew. in their bodies through their backsides, uh, just explosively. Ew! And while they're doing that, apparently they also kind of mix it around with Ew! their hands. So, um, all of this is in an... I hate it, this it, shit! In an, it, it's weird. In an attempt to, to create a patch, um, almost literally a form of macroscopic uh, scabbing and 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 what they found, what the scientists found after many years of uh, of working, is um uh and this was specifically led, I believe, by uh well at least part of it by uh, Nancy Moran at the University of Texas at Austin, um was that this mirrors exactly the process that the aphids themselves use for clotting within their own bodies. That the exact same enzymes and proteins but then they just are used do it. to make microscopic clots. Those are the same substances that are pushed out by them to make macroscopic that's clots. That's gross. It's cool. And gross. And that's my weird shit in the news. Mine is so different. Good. Mine is like a... <laughs> this is a nice little don't do drugs kids type of story. Um... This is uh, NBC, New York. NYC stranger linked to headless chicken mystery in wealthy Connecticut neighborhood. Okay. okay. So there's this dude. And someone was literally dumping headless chickens and pigeons outside a home 
in some like super wealthy Connecticut neighborhood. Hmm. They were like, I don't, what the fuck is going on here? They said that um, it uh, it happened like randomly for the past year. Just it's just so they're finally like, what what the fuck? Like they don't know who's doing it, and they finally caught him. So he's forty eight, and he's from New York City. He was arrested, um, and they went through. And I guess there's no known connection between him and the homeowner. Weird. Yeah, that's some like drug shit right there, right? Don't you think like I dude guess. got high and was like chopping off heads and shit and was like dumping? I don't know. And then and then went to some random fuckers like house in Connecticut. <laughs> I it's mean, weird. I don't know. There's, it's very weird. I mean, but it's also like it's not like he killed a, a person and he killed a chicken and pigeons. But it does seem threatening. It definitely seems threatening. But it's it's very. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there's more to this. There's some. I want to know what's happening there's here. There's Definitely more to what's, it. What's what's with this what's guy? Happening Is he okay in his head. Right. Exactly. What's the motive for this? It's like one of those stories. You know, it's like that that story, if you recall, where the woman who gets on to flights without a boarding pass or a ticket, and she's done this several times, um, which is kind of alarming in and of itself. She has no ill intents whatsoever. She simply has, you know, some, some difficulties, perhaps, And one they might just say. don't know? She, she doesn't fit into our society, and, and but it's like, that's illegal. Um, so anyway, this guy seems like he may need some help as well. Um, I hope he gets it. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> so much. Sub- subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. That really helps on iTunes. We've got four of them so far. Awesome. Um, uh, uh. Leave a comment. Give us, com- give us, give us, um, <laughs> subscribe us to your, us on Give us your Patreon. headless chickens. Yeah, subscribe to us on patreon please please uh give us a buck that'd be awesome and then all the social medias too facebook yeah. instagram twitter mario text 30 our twitter's um a sad place <laughs> i like tweeting articles um and yeah thanks uh Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.